This morning, since we have a little bit less time than normal, given our members meeting in just a little bit, I thought I'd take us to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So take your Bibles and turn there with me if you would, please. I want to know the Lord better. I want to know God better, deeper. I want to understand Him in a more significant way than I currently do. I trust that's your desire as well. To know God better. To really know God. To grow in your love for Him. To grow in your understanding of Him and His ways. Well, we're going to see in our text this morning that if you want to know God more deeply, there are three things we should pray for and ask God to help us to see. To see and to know and to treasure. What do we value? What's really important to us? If we want to know God better, more deeply, we'll ask God to help us to see and value that which is most important. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read for us verses 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian believers, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to know you better. We want to know you in the fullness of what that means. To be still and know that you are God. So quiet our hearts. Focus our attention. Renew our zeal to know you this morning. We need that. It's our greatest need. Teach us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture, a lot we could unpack here, and we're just going to kind of 
survey a lot of this text this morning and then focus in on a a few verses. Let me give you a quick overview of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Verses 1 and 2 are a greeting, typical greeting, a salutation. Verses 3 through 14 comprise one long sentence of the Apostle Paul, 203 words in Greek. It is a magnificent hymn of praise to God for his glorious grace and the whole plan of the redemption of sinners, which goes back from before the beginning of time, before anything was, and how all of this was done according to God's will. And then verses 15 through 23, which I just read, those are that's also one long sentence, a little shorter, 169 Greek words. But having just ended this majestic hymn of praise to God for his glorious plan of redemption, Paul now in verse 15 explains how he continually gives thanks to God for the Ephesians, that they've been included in this plan of redemption, and how that's clear from from God's working in their lives and the fruit that their faith has borne out. So Paul is moving in Ephesians chapter 1 from adoration of God and explanation of God's plan of redemption, and he transitions into thanksgiving for these believers in Jesus who are the recipients of God's grace. So in verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, referring back to all that he said in verses 3 through 14, but especially referring to the fact that the readers of this letter have indeed trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that they are now sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Look at verse 13, Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. They're saved. They heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that though they were sinners, God in his love had sent his son to die in their place on their behalf. And they had heard that message of the gospel the message of truth. And they had responded in faith and they believed and God sealed them with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it was for this reason that Paul in verse 15 states that he did not cease giving thanks to God for them, making mention of them in his prayers. But Paul outlines two further reasons for his thankfulness for them. He mentions their ongoing faith Their trust in the Lord and their undiscriminating love, faith and love wedded together as they always inevitably are. These Christians live a life of faith in the Lord Jesus, looking to him, trusting him, walking, not by sight, but by faith. Christianity for them was not just a some kind of moniker or a bumper sticker. It was a way of life. James, of course, tells us that faith without works is dead. These believers did not have a dead faith. They had a living faith that showed itself in the way that they lived. 
These believers exhibited the fruit of faith in the form of faith in the Lord and a genuine love for others. Not just the beautiful people, not just the people they enjoyed, but all the saints, Paul says. A boundless love for all the saints and a boundless faith in the Lord. So Paul had reason to give thanks for these believers. They were genuine believers, genuinely saved. And he says, he did not cease giving thanks for them, verse 16, while making mention of you in my prayers. When Paul prayed for these believers, his habit was to also give thanks for them. He couldn't think of them without giving thanks for them. It's a wonderful window into the heart of the apostle. And it's a wonderful calling for each of us as we think of one another to Give thanks to the Lord for one another. Now, what is it that Paul specifically prays for these believers? When he prays for them and gives thanks, he makes some requests of the Lord on their behalf. Well, we find the answer in verse 17. Paul prayed that the Father of glory would do something very specific in their lives. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that they might see and know and fully realize and appreciate and practically live out the reality of their present spiritual blessings in Jesus. What is the nature of their present spiritual blessings in Jesus? Well, look with me at chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Hallelujah. What are your spiritual blessings today? You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. God has withheld nothing from you, nothing good from you. Instead, he has lavished on you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Paul's prayer here is that they might know the fullness of that and live in the fullness of that. Notice what he specifically prays. That the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What is this? It's that they might understand the fullness of God's salvation through the Holy Spirit. That they might discern and learn and grow in their understanding of this gospel that has saved them. I mean, you think about it. When we come to know Jesus for the first time, we don't know much, right? Usually we, we, we don't maybe have much understanding of the Bible, much understanding of the, the nature of God, we, there's a lot we're lacking in terms of understanding. But we know enough. We know that we're sinners, that we can't save ourselves, that God is gracious, that he sent Jesus, that Jesus is the son of God, and that if we believe and trust on him and his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have our sins forgiven and, and possess eternal life. That's all you need to know. Peeling back that onion of redemption 
is a lifelong pursuit. The glory, the majesty, the incredible promises that are ours, this, is, this becomes our, our, our life goal, our life aim to, to understand this great blessing we've been born into, this great God who's given us the new birth by his mercy and love through faith in Jesus. So Paul prays that they would have this spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit, who has already sealed them in Christ and has indwelt them since the day of their salvation, would be active in illuminating their minds to spiritual truth and to knowing God. You'll notice the object of this wisdom here is the the knowledge of Him, the knowledge of God, the Father of glory. Paul wants the Spirit of God to be active in their lives, resulting in their growth in the true knowledge of God. True knowledge of God. It's an intimate knowledge. We're not talking about trivia. You can be really good at Bible trivia and not know God. Agreed? Is that true? We can know a lot of facts, a lot of things, a lot of truth, and not know God. Paul is praying that they would not just know a lot of stuff, not just know a lot of trivia, but they would truly know God. This true knowledge of God is an intimate knowledge. It is the knowledge of relationship. It is the knowledge of personal cherishing and treasuring and valuing. The knowledge of personal commitment and investment in a relationship. I love what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of this passage. He says, The knowledge Paul has in mind here is not mere theory. It is not something abstract or academic. It is a personal, immediate, real meeting with God. He goes on, he says, It's almost impossible to put this truth into words, but it means that God should be real to us and that we should be conscious of Him and conscious of His presence. Growing in the knowledge of God is a growing reality of his presence in our lives, a growing consciousness of who he is and what he's done for us. This is what Paul prays for these believers. And it's what we ought to pray for ourselves and what we ought to pray for one another. This is my prayer for our church. That God would be real to us and that we would know him. That 
we would get beyond just a, an, an interest in God. We would get beyond just a desire to know things about God, truth about God. All of that's good. But that's not the end goal. It's not to know facts. It's to know God. Paul then in verse 18 uses a very interesting phrase. The New American Standard Bible says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Perhaps a better translation would be, having had the eyes of your heart enlightened, since it's in the perfect tense, which signifies a completed action with ongoing results. We have had the eyes of our heart enlightened at the moment of salvation, but that Singular act of having the eyes of a heart enlightened has ongoing effects, results. The phrase eyes of your heart, that's kind of a, we don't usually speak of our heart having eyes. But Paul is talking here, he's using a metaphor figure of speech for the mission control center of our beings, our hearts, the the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions, our innermost being, the heart of who we are. Paul wants them to see at the heart of who they are with new spiritual eyes. He wants their spiritual vision to get sharper and sharper As we get older and older, our eyesight gets less and less sharp, at least it tends to. And our vision tends to get dimmer and dimmer. But that is the opposite of how it should work for us spiritually. Our spiritual vision, the eyes of our heart, should get clearer and clearer as we grow in the Lord, as we seek Him. And so the clearer we see God's glory, God's love, and God's truth. When I was a kid, I used to love those uh, hidden picture activity pages. You remember those? Where it was a, immediately as you looked at it, it was a picture of a fox or a beach or a mountain or a picnic or something like that. But the task was, the real challenge was that you had to find all the hidden images that were within the image. The things that weren't immediately apparent to you at first. My kids also love the uh, Where's Waldo books. You know those? You know, you can spend hours, you know, just where is he, you know? And Oh, there, no, that's not him. No, everything looks like Waldo. Everything Everything is colored to look like Waldo and he's very hard to find. The thing you're looking for is right there in the picture. You just have to train your eyes to see it. Paul is praying here that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened by the Spirit to see the fullness of the spiritual treasure that was theirs in Jesus. And that in this process of spiritual enlightening, at the heart level, they might come to know God better, more fully, more deeply. Paul's prayer is that they would know God. 
and that they would know him intimately and personally. And so he prays for the Spirit's ministry in their lives and for the continuing result of their spiritual eyes having been opened and that that would result in knowing God better. Now, in verses 18 and 19, Paul gives the purpose for this request. He wants them to see with the eyes of their heart three specific things. He wants them to see hope, he wants them to see glory, and he wants them to see power. And we're good, with the time we have left, we're just going to look at these quickly. If you want to know God more deeply, more intimately, there are three things we should ask God to help us see, all right? First of all, to see the hope of our calling. We need to ask God to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we might see the hope of our calling. In growing in their intimate personal knowledge of God, they would see more and more clearly the hope of God's calling on their lives. The believer has been called of God and can therefore have hope that what God has started, he is going to finish and perfect. The believer has hope, right? We've looked at that before. We saw it in 1 Peter. We've been born again to a living hope, right? And that the believer's hope is not a wish. It's not a desire. But it is a settled certainty. That is the believer's hope. It's the assurance that what God has begun, he will finish. That God will make good on all of his promises. That is the believer's hope. And here we have the, the hope of God's call. Now there are two kinds of calls in scripture. There is the general external call of the gospel. That is, there is the public preaching and declaration of the gospel message that goes out to all. Whoever will hear, whoever is within earshot. It is a general call, it is an invitation, and an appeal to respond in faith to the gospel. That's a general call. And it's the free offer of the gospel to all. And that general call goes out again. It goes out right now. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, God offers you the gift of forgiveness through faith in Jesus. All your sins can be forgiven. If you simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, believing that he is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that he's coming back. That is the general call of the gospel. And it's for everyone. It's for you. Then there is the internal effectual call of God unto salvation. This is the special call of God on a life. God calls a person unto salvation, then that person will respond in faith. So the general call goes out to all. The special effective call of God calls the elect unto spiritual life. So of all those that hear the general call of the gospel, some will simultaneously receive the effectual call of God and will respond in faith. And if you have trouble with all of this, go back and read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. That's what that's all about. That God, by his will, has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. 
That's all part of this effectual call of God. Each and every one of those whom God has chosen received both a general and effectual call of God unto salvation. Romans 8.30 says, Those whom God predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. You don't... Salvation is not a smorgasbord, right? So I think I'll take a little justification, but I'm going to leave off the glorification. No, it's a package deal. And it's all part of the call of God on a life. And it's all part of God's plan of redemption. So the hope of his calling that Paul is praying here that God might open their eyes of their heart to see is this subjective experience based upon God's objective action. Okay? So the subjective experience is hope based upon God's objective action of his call of us. Because he's called us, because we responded in faith, we know we have been called of God and therefore we have hope. Hope that he will be faithful to do all that he said he will do on our behalf. Hope that what he has begun, he will finish, complete, and mature and perfect. Before we were called, we were without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. But now we have hope, a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope. Hope that God has made us alive. Hope that God has sealed us. Hope that we are secure in Him. Hope that He will sanctify us, that He's going to glorify us one day. Hope that we are His forever. Hope that He will return and take us to be where He is. Hope that He will make all things right and once for all do away with sin and death and sadness and tears. This is the believer's hope. And our privilege is we get to we get to examine that hope. We get to dive into that hope. We get to embrace that hope and this calling that is ours and make it our aim to understand it better, to live in it. To live in it means that each day we have hope. Do we get sad? Yes. Does sadness overwhelm us? It ought not. We have hope in the Lord. Hope that springs from His calling of us, a calling which is certain and sure and can never be overturned. Paul also prays that they might see the glory of God's inheritance. That's the second thing he prays, that they, their, the eyes of their heart may be enlightened to see the glory of God's inheritance. In knowing God, Paul not only wants us to realize the hope of our calling, but also the riches of the glory of God's inheritance. <laughs> Excuse me, riches, of course, speaks of abundance, of great wealth. Glory is a great way to describe God. He is glorious. It's the sum total of his being. It is the reflection of the essence of his being. And because it is God's inheritance, it reflects his character, which is glorious. 
It is thus the wealth of his glorious inheritance. Now, what is this inheritance? This inheritance, Paul says, is in the saints. Who's that? That's us who believe, right? Who've trusted in Jesus. We are God's glorious inheritance. That's who you are. God's inheritance is glorious. That should not shock us, right? That, would, that makes sense. Whatever God has would be glorious. His inheritance is glorious. That makes sense. What should shock us is that the inheritance is us. And, and what should further shock us is that that inheritance is described as glorious. We are the glorious inheritance of God. Because we are in Christ, we are specially valuable to God. God loves us as he loves his own son. The son loves us as he loves his own father. You are his glorious inheritance. We are each of us trophies of his grace and he prizes us as his own. God loves you with an everlasting love and nothing you or I could ever do would ever change that. We are his glorious inheritance and he treasures us. Now listen, you can spend a lifetime trying to plumb the depths of that truth. Trying to understand the significance of that radical idea that not only is God our inheritance, but we are his. That's part of knowing God. And we haven't scratched the surface. Thirdly, Paul prays that they would see the power of God toward us. Paul prays that they might know God and see and know the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Let me just tell you, in this, the rest of the passage... From verse 19 on to the end of the chapter, Paul is just stacking up power language he, and power, power uh, pictures. And he's, he's using his great command of language to communicate that this power is beyond any power you're familiar with. This is the power of God. The unequaled, unrivaled, unlimited power of God that is for you. Not in the future, not waiting someday when all things are made right. No, it's operative right now. It's working in you. It's active. It's been released in your life. 
This is part of what it means to know God. It's to know his power operative within us. God is omnipotent. And it is this limitless power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 20. This very same power that raised Jesus from the dead and put all things under his feet. Verse 22 is the same power that is actively at work in the life of every single believer. Power to protect us. Power to keep us. Power to transform us. Power to heal us. Power to see us through to the end. Power to get us through the next trial. Power to bring us home to glory. And that is why the believer can say along with Paul in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me because all power resides within me. Whatever God calls me to, whatever God expects of me, whatever God might cause me to walk through, I can, I can respond in a way that obeys is obedient to him, that honors him, that glorifies him. How do I know that? Because all power has been given to me. Internally. To be the, all that God wants me to be. Turn over to Ephesians 3 real quick before we close. This is all very similar to the prayer Paul prays in Ephesians 3. Look at verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14, another prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in the heart, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and yet you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Do you see the parallels there? That you might know God that you might know Christ's love, that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. Now, does that sound like some kind of cold and distant orthodoxy? Does that sound like knowing a bunch of facts and being able to, you know, find all the books in the Bible? No. It sounds to me like someone who really knows God, who's learned to see with the eyes of their heart, with the eyes of faith, who's come to see the hope of God's call, someone who's learned to see the glory of God's inheritance, which is us, someone who's come to see the power of God, the infinite, unlimited power of God that is operative in our lives right now, available to us to lean on and draw from. So to all of this, I simply say, Lord, give me eyes to see you as you truly are. Give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you, to really know you and grow in love for you and in awe of you and of what you've done for me. 
That's my prayer for my own life and for each one of you. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart that we might know you in all the fullness, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Let's pray. Lord, this is a prayer you will gladly answer. For you want us to know you. You have revealed yourself that we might know you. You have sent your son that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. We know you. We want to know you more. Give us that knowledge through your spirit, through your word, through the fellowship of the saints, through the means of grace. Lord, maybe there's some here who don't know you this morning. May they know you for the first time by knowing your son, Jesus, that they might turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for their sins. And they begin this journey of knowing God. Lord, we long for the day when we will know as we are known. When the limitations of our knowledge will be stripped away. And we will truly understand the the depth of the riches of the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. Until then, open the eyes of our heart. Illumine us. Enlighten our eyes to see the glory of the gospel and to know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.